The following sermon is from the archives of Dr. Stephen Olford. It was preached during his distinguished ministry at Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. Our series, Christmas Characters, today's sermon, The History of Christmas, Joseph the Husband of Mary, from Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. Now, here is Dr. Stephen Olford. Lord Jesus Christ, eclipse, we pray thee, all other distracting objects, thoughts, and reveal thyself to us in this closing moment of our evening service and become to us the Savior, even Jesus Christ, the Lord. We ask it for thy name's sake. Amen. <clears throat> Christmas characters. No one can approach the Christmas story without confronting at the very outset of the history of Christmas the man we know as Joseph, the husband of Mary. Curiously enough, very little is known about the personal history of Joseph except that which is associated inseparably with the story of the Nativity. And as we come to this story, he stands out not as a spectator, but as a central figure. In fact, if not chronologically, in the unfolding of the Word of God, as contained in the canon of Scripture, it's Joseph we meet first, and not Mary. Even though, by revelation, the news came to Mary before, in fact, it came to Joseph. So Joseph has a real place in our Christmas story, our Christmas history. And there are three main salient thoughts that will engage our attention tonight. The first is what I'm going to call the reality of this history. Joseph was a real man. Joseph was a real man. We read that Joseph was the husband of Mary, verse 16. And the Holy Spirit, in order to obviate any notion of some fictitious character, describes him as Joseph, the husband of Mary. And then the Holy Spirit takes pains to point out the reality of this man. Joseph was a real man with royalty in his blood. Joseph was a real man with royalty in his blood. For when the angel appeared to him, the angel said, Joseph, thou son of David. And in fact, Matthew, in tracing the genealogy and lineage of this man, goes back not only to King David, but even farther back to Abraham and calls him the son of Abraham the father of the faithful. Now there are some people with such scanty historical background that it's awfully difficult to identify them. If I were to ask you to stand here tonight and give us your pedigree, I wonder how many of you could go back beyond one, two or three generations. But as if the Holy Spirit is putting its stamp on a real man, a real man. Matthew, 
guided by that same Holy Spirit, takes us right through the lineage and ancestry of this remarkable man, Joseph, back to King David, back to Abraham himself, in order to identify him and to stamp him out as a real man. Joseph was a real man. Joseph was a real man with royalty in his blood. But Joseph in the second place was a real man with poverty in his life. With poverty in his life. For were you to turn to the 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel and the 55th verse, you'd read of him as a carpenter. As a carpenter. Our Lord Jesus Christ was known as the son of the carpenter. And anyone who knows biblical history will know that a, comp a carpenter's trade was a humble trade, especially when located in a little village or a township like Nazareth. Yes, a humble trade, he plied. Royalty in his blood, but poverty in his life. But we deduce his poverty from more than one instance in the Gospels. It was because of poverty that he wasn't able to get into the inn with his beloved wife Mary heavy with child when she desperately needed shelter. Had he been able to display a bag of gold, no innkeeper would have kept him out. But in case you dispute that, go further and remember that it was the offering of the poor man, the offering of the poor man that Joseph and Mary brought to the temple when they presented the infant Jesus for his dedication in the presence of God. Two turtle doves, the equivalent of two young pigeons, the offering of a poor man. And the Holy Spirit brings us to confrontation with reality, for no one, listen carefully to my words, no one, no one who hasn't tasted poverty can know reality. This is true right throughout history. It's true right throughout the teachings of Scripture. Ere the Savior becomes your Savior, ere the Savior becomes your Redeemer, he must needs lay by all the affluence and all the riches and all the glory of heaven and become poor in order that we might become rich. He was a real man. There was royalty in his blood, but poverty in his life. Joseph was a real man with loyalty in his heart. With loyalty in his heart. With consummate tenderness, the Holy Spirit picks up the story and tells us that Joseph, the husband of Mary, now here is a point we so often pass over without due thought. We're so caught up with Mary, we're so caught up with Mary that if we're not careful we forget Joseph. But has it ever occurred to you that if in the sovereignty of his glorious purposes God should choose a sweet Hebrew maiden to become the vehicle for the release of his own life manifest in the flesh, can we, dare we, accord Almighty God less thought and care in choosing the right husband, the right husband, even Joseph, 
to become the husband of Mary. He must have been a wonderful man. A wonderful man. A man full of nobility and sweetness and strength and purity and above all loyalty. This is the greatest love affair ever dramatized on the theater of human history. Wonderful, wonderful as that first marriage was in Eden's paradise. Wonderful as that first wedding service amidst the glories of an untainted Eden. Nothing could compare with that wonderful love, courtship and marriage wrapped up in two lives that God brought together before that first Christmas day. Joseph and Mary. Or to quote G. Campbell Morgan, and I love what he has to say. Oh, love, he says, love is beautiful. Love is a sweet thing, but love never really happens unless associated with the mountain, the hill, and the village. All conventional arrangements for marriage, he says, are of hell. Love to be truly loved is love when it bursts in upon the soul given from heaven. When two lives are brought together in the purpose of God. And there was something characteristic about this man, Joseph. There was royalty in his blood. There was poverty in his life. But there was loyalty in his heart. And there is only one thing a woman eventually want, longs for. Only one thing a woman really wants. If she can analyze it. It's loyalty. For in that one word loyalty is combined. Listen carefully. In that one word loyalty is combined. Respect. Love. Trust. Strength. Faithfulness. Loyalty. Loyalty. He was a real man. God chose a real man become the central figure of the Christmas story outside of Christ himself. And if Christmas is going to mean anything in terms of history, 1968, you've got to be a real man, a real woman. God will never trust you with the wonder of this history, this story, this Christmas story. Unless you're real. And God wants nothing else and nothing less than reality. But in the second place, I want you to notice that Joseph was not only a real man. Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph was a righteous man. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, a righteous man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she brought forth a son, and he called his name Jesus. A righteous man. Bishop Handley Mole tells us that the one Greek word that stands for our phrase, a righteous man, means a person who is anxious to do truth in duty. 
A person who is anxious to do truth in duty. And in the line of duty, as anyone knows who's done any kind of thinking, there are two demands made upon any man. Demands that are righteous. Demands that are just. One is the demand of charity. The other is the demand of honesty. Charity. Honesty. Use other words if you will. Goodness. Severity. Grace. Law. Love. Justice. Charity. Honesty. He was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. For we read, Joseph being a righteous man and not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privily. The story behind this is a very beautiful story and a very delicate story and a very wonderful story. In Jewish customs, a man had to be espoused to a girl for one year minimum before marriage itself took place. And that espousal was not just engagement in the flippant, glib way in which we conceive of engagement today. Having decided that this girl was his own, and she having decided that this man was her own, they came before at least two witnesses. And before those two witnesses, they pledged their vows of espousal. They exchanged rings and jewels and they were espoused. But for one whole year, they could not know sexual intercourse. For one whole year, they had to prove their purity and nobility and honesty before God and before men. And each lived in their separate homes until the end of that year when they came together in marriage. And it was while that year was transpiring that Joseph discovered that Mary was with child. And he was deeply perplexed, deeply moved. I've often wondered, and I suppose you have, as to why it was that Mary hadn't told Joseph, that Joseph had to discover it. It may be that Mary thought that the Holy Ghost, who had revealed this to her, the angel of the Lord, who had disclosed this secret, would do the same to Joseph, and to her it was far too sacred to share in any other way. It may be that Mary, loving her beloved, shrank from ever trying to hurt him by telling him of what had happened, lest he should think her lying. What agony went in, went in her heart, seethed within her soul. We can ever imagine Leave alone the agony in his heart as we shall observe in a moment. But he discovered it. He discovered it. And he was a righteous man. A characteristic unknown today. He was a righteous man. And although he loved the girl, and although he was committed to the girl, and although he was espoused to the girl, not willing to make her a public example, he was minded to put her away privily. Now he could have done what the law demanded. He could have done what Deuteronomy spells out. And that is make her a public example. And in making her a public example insist on her being stoned to death. And he would have been dead right. 
For any espousal, any espousal broken by fornication demanded death by stoning. He knew, however, that the law had been in some way mollified so that divorce could take place and that that divorce need not be a public one. But so long as witnessed by two individuals could be done privately. And while he didn't want to make her a public example, in charity and in love, being a righteous man, he thought on this privately. But listen, not only did he meet the demands of charity, he also met the demands of honesty. For even though the law had been mollified, it was still not going all the way with God. And he couldn't make the decision. For with the charity of his heart, there was also the honesty of his heart. And we read this while he thought on these things. While he thought on these things, and our authorized version leaves us dangling there. The word here is a strong word in the Greek. While he had conflict of mind. While he had conflict of mind. While he agonized before God that lest he should sell honesty at the expense of charity. While he agonized in his soul, that's when God broke into that situation to vindicate the righteousness of a man who'd stand true to his espoused. I've often thought of those weeks of agony. Mary's up there with Elizabeth sharing the secrets of her soul and perplexed and troubled for her beloved Joseph. Joseph back in Nazareth, fighting a battle he had never fought in all his life, believing that God had chosen his espoused, believing that God intended them to come together. Now, now he faces the horror of divorce, the horror of stoning by death. And in the conflict and agony of soul, he waits before God. How many times he prayed, we can never imagine. But it was morning, noon, and night as he prayed, until presently falling into sleep in a dream of revelation. God broke in and said to him, Joseph, Joseph, thou son of David, thou royal line, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He was a righteous man, meeting the demands of charity, meeting the demands of honesty. And I want to say to any young fellow here, any young woman here, if you ever want God to make you an instrument of bringing into history, into reality, the livingness of Jesus Christ, I challenge you to an honesty of life and a charity of life like unto Joseph. He was a real man, but he was a righteous man. And in this day of compromise, in this day of broken down morals, in this day of situation ethics so-called, oh God, give us a generation of righteous young men, righteous young women, righteous men and women, to whom God can reveal himself in the hour of desperate need. 
videotaping a number of programs for our television program this past week, I had a group of collegians who fired questions at me as I sought to answer them over the microphone. And one young fellow looked straight at me and he said, well, I don't believe in any absolutes. I don't believe in any absolutes. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I believe that all standards are relative and that there are situations in which I can behave as I think best. I make the decision. My heart sank within me and though I answered with vigor and with dogmatism that the word of God is absolute and God hasn't changed his law, his character and that no situation, no situation merits my changing what God has to say and that the last word must be with God. I repeat, my heart sank within me. There was no evidence of righteousness there. Joseph was a righteous man. But in the third place, I want you to see in this history of Christmas, in this central figure on the human level, not only a man who was real, not only a man who was righteous, but in the third place, I want you to notice a man who was responsive. Joseph was a responsive man. Joseph was a responsive man. And we read Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. Joseph did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. And in this responsiveness of this man, I see the great story of bringing Christ to the nations, Christ to the world, Christ to our contemporary age. He was a real man, therefore a righteous man. A righteous man, therefore a responsive man. And I want you to notice the manner of his responsiveness. He was ready, first of all, to hear the word of the Lord. Ready to hear the word of the Lord. Though in conflict of mind, though in agony of soul, though in a sleep, God broke into that man's inner vision and gave him a word from heaven. A word from heaven. That word from heaven was in terms of a prophecy that became a history. A prophecy that became a history. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Away there, hundreds of years before God had spoken to Isaiah the prophet concerning a virgin, concerning the coming of one called Emmanuel. And I challenge even prophetic students in this audience tonight to be able to trace back with clarity that prophecy and be able to explain it within its context. It can be done. It can be done. The picture is of curds and honey, of poverty, of need, of bankruptcy of a country and a nation and a world in a mess and God sending someone from heaven, Emmanuel, born of a virgin. But no one could have ever deciphered that and all the modernists and all the liberals of our day wipe it right off and say it's got nothing to do with the coming of Jesus Christ. But they're all liars. They're all liars because God here by the Holy Spirit to Joseph refers to Isaiah 7 and 14 and relates it directly and specifically to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. And God expected Joseph to know all about that, all about that in the prophecy of Isaiah. And hearing that word of prophecy, 
He heard the angel go on to relate it to something which was happening in history. Prophecy becoming history. Prophecy becoming history. He said, he said, Mary, thy wife, shall conceive. And that conception shall be of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Joseph, the prophecy of Isaiah becomes the history of this moment. Already your wife is with child. And it is an immaculate conception. The initiation of the life which has begun to form within the womb of your wife Mary is an initiation of the Holy Ghost apart from any human intervention. And presently she's going to bring forth a child and that child is going to be born. But that child has been originated, initiated by God the Holy Ghost. And that child is going to be called Jesus. Name him Jesus. Name him Jesus. Joshua, Oshia, Jehovah saves, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is the story of Christmas. This is the gospel of Christmas. This is the message of Christmas. Jesus, Savior for a world. And I want to tell you men and women here in this place, after all the speculations of which we are sick at this present hour, the dialogues, the discussions, the debates, I want to say what we need today are not more dialogues, not more discussions, not more speculations, not more panels. What we need today is a message concerning a savior. This country needs a savior. This nation needs a savior. The homes of Allah need a savior. You need a savior. You can't be saved without a savior. And this is the message that Joseph heard. Oh, the responsiveness of a man who hears a message like that. Alas, alas, there's so few Josephs, so few, few Josephs left, left in our country, in our land today, in our pulpits today. Men who are waiting on God for the only message that can save the world, the only message that can save the world. That the virgin child of Isaiah is the savior child of history. But in the last instance of this story I want you to notice that in his responsiveness he was not only ready to hear the word of the Lord he was ready to heed the will of the Lord he was ready to heed the will of the Lord and he rose and did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and if you take just one quick glance into that man's life you'll see the instances in which he obeyed the will of the Lord. He took steps, first of all, to ensure the birth of Christ. He took steps to ensure the birth of Christ. I want you to notice very carefully, Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Any intelligent person here understanding the meaning of those two verses will realize what discipline, what restraint, what purity, what righteousness characterized that man for nine solid months in order that nothing should impede Christ 
being born in the world. I wonder what you're prepared to pay in terms of purity and restraint and discipline and discipleship in order that Christ might be born in the lives of men and women this Christmas time. I wonder what payment, what price, what cost you're prepared to make in order that Christ might be born in the life of your wife, of your husband, of your children, of your school parents. He took unto him Mary his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. He heeded the word of the Lord. But he took, took steps not only to make possible the birth of Christ, but to ensure the name of Christ. The angel of the Lord had said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And in verse 25 we read, And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. The Joseph man of Christmas not only ensures the birth of Christ, but the name of Christ. And I'm telling you, if you are a Joseph man, you're going to spell out that name. You're going to spell out that name. It's your privilege to name him Jesus, to spell out that precious name, that name which is as ointment poured forth, that name which spells the cure to all the ills of men and women today, the only name that will save a man from the penalty of sin, from the grip of sin, from the guilt of sin, from the defilement of sin, from the pollution of sin. It's the only name that will save men and women and boys and girls. Are you qualified to spell it out? Are you qualified to spell it out? Will you name him Jesus in your home? Amidst the cocktails, amidst the bells, amidst the riotous living and eating, are you prepared bravely to spell out Jesus? If you're not, you're not a Joseph man. And you're not a Joseph woman. He took steps to ensure the birth of Christ. He took steps to ensure the name of Christ. He took steps to ensure the life of Christ. For having been born in Bethlehem of Judea, Herod, Herod would have slain him with a sword. But he heard the voice of the angel again saying, Leave, leave Bethlehem and go down into Egypt. And don't return until I tell you. Here's a man who hadn't any money save that which was brought by the wise men, the Magi. He had never charted a course down to Egypt. But in answer to the word of the Lord, he went down into Egypt. And I'm going to tell you, my friends, God calls us not only to ensure the birth of Christ in human lives, not only to name the name of Christ and spell out his saviorhood, but to defend our Christ. To defend our Christ, we are called not only to the proclamation of the gospel, but to the defense of the gospel. There is a place today for the apologetic, and there are the Herods who would slay our Christ, who would destroy his deity, who would tear to pieces his humanity, who'd make absolute sport of his word of his day of the ministry of prayer and were called upon to defend our Christ. But it takes Joseph, man, 
the Joseph man to do that. He ensured the birth of Christ, the name of Christ, the life of Christ, the work of Christ. For having returned by the word of the Lord, they settled down in Nazareth. And there we read that the Savior was subject to Joseph, subject to Joseph, as he learned his trade at the carpenter's bench. And not only his trade, but the sense of his mission. For when he was taken up to the temple at the age of 12, you remember how he looked right into the face of Joseph, his legal, reputed father, and beyond Joseph to his heavenly father, and he said, Know ye not that I must be about my father's business. And the mighty mission of the Savior, the redemption story began to unfold. Why? Because it started under the tutelage of a man called Joseph. And the redeeming work of Jesus Christ will never be known. The saving work of our Lord will never be known in your shop, your school, your hospital, or wherever you are, unless, unless you're a Joseph man. The history of Christmas is bound up with Joseph. It's bound up with Joseph. And if prophecy is going to become history again, if prophecy is going to become history again, we must have men and women who are like Joseph. He was a real man. A real man. Royalty in his blood, poverty in his life, but loyalty in his heart. He was a righteous man, standing for the demands of charity and honesty. Never departing. Acknowledged from heaven and vindicated from heaven. He was a responsive man. Hearing the word of the Lord, in prophecy, translated into history. Heeding the word of the Lord, taking steps to make possible the birth, the name, the life, and the work of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Are you prepared to become a Joseph man this Christmas time? He's a central character in the Christmas story. Will you be real and righteous and responsive as you open your being to God the Father who wants you to become the vehicle through whom Christ might be born, named, operative, redemptive, in our contemporary world. Will you be a Joseph man? Let us pray. God has given us a vision here tonight, a vision of a man that he could use, a vision of a real man, a righteous man, a responsive man.
And it's my prayer that he'll fill you with that vision here tonight. And down deep in your heart, you won't leave this place until you've said, I'm going to be a man like that. I'm going to be a woman like that. If that's the kind of person God uses, then I'm that man. I'm that woman. What the world needs is Jesus. And I want to be the vehicle through whom Jesus can come to this world. Can be born in this world. Named in this world. Live in this world. Work in this world. Not only in the bank, but in the ghetto. Not only in the school, but in the shop. Not only in the church, but in the home. I want Christ to be born, to be named, to live, and to work. And he does it through Joseph men. I want to be a Joseph man. Lord, hear the response of hearts throughout this audience. And grant that here tonight will be found people who want to be real, righteous, and responsive. We ask it for thy dear name's sake. Amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources, or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.